and our blessed indie bookstores. That's philosopher Martha Nussbaum, here August 23rd. Good afternoon. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover. Welcome to another edition of Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan, and I'll be here for the next half hour talking about film. Uh, you know, there are times when I talk about documentaries that are just coming out, and there's times that I speak more about uh, feature films. And today, I wanted to speak about a phenomena, which is the new film Crazy Rich Asians, which has gotten so much publicity. And I wanted to think about the film both in terms of why it's so successful its representation of Asians and uh, and how a rom-com has made it to this kind of status and to think about this idea I thought I can't really do this alone I really want somebody who I trust who uh, has thought about these issues in many different ways over time the first name that came to me was Arthur Dong. He's an Oscar-nominated and Triple Sundance Award-winning filmmaker. Uh, he directed Hollywood Chinese, the seminal documentary chronicling the Chinese and American feature films, and his latest film, The Killing Fields, of Dr. Hengas Noor, profiled the only Asian male to have won an Oscar, uh, actor who won the Oscar. Uh, he recently published his first book, Forbidden City, USA, Chinatown Nightclubs, 1936 to 1970, and it won an American Book Award in 2015, and it's based on the film, and I just have to say that I interviewed him about this film many years ago, and he's currently working on his next book, A Hollywood Chinese Album, which is a pictorial companion to Hollywood Chinese. So Arthur is here from Los Angeles on the phone. Welcome to KPFA. Thank you. It's great to be back. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great to have you <laughs> I back. I was there in Berkeley. I miss Berkeley. I miss the Bay Area. But hey, you know, I'm in L.A. Uh, right. I guess we could spend all this time figuring out why you moved from up here to down there, but we won't do that. <laughs> Another show. <laughs> Another show, right. Um, <laughs> I was so interested in, like, so here it is. Like, you're somebody who has studied, like, I remember the images from your film, Forbidden City, which uh, there was all these images from San Francisco and all these images of, like, uh, Chinese Americans and immigration and many different things. So here we are now talking about a film, and maybe we can just sort of kind of put it into context uh, first off, Crazy Rich Asians is a film that's based on a book by Kevin Kwan. There's three novels, and it was directed by John M. Chu, who grew up in the Bay Area. And it is a, a film that is kind of a rom-com halfway between maybe a, a British fantasy Jane Eyre kind of story from many years ago combined with Cinderella and uh, it takes place in the 1% of the 1% of the 1% uber wealthy people in Singapore um, and it is a fun romp so if you've made it to the theaters to see this film uh, people clap at the end there's so much excitement and exuberation in the air it's um 
it's kind of dramatic and intense and people are crying and laughing and talking too much during the film, but that's another thing. So, <laughs> Arthur, tell me what your initial impressions were of this film before you saw it. I was full of excitement, but also apprehension. Uh, I, I see media and films uh, uh, as a very complex entity. Uh, it's entertainment, but... I really believe, and as well as many people believe, that uh, it really affects how we see each other uh, in the world and, and the world that we, we live in and how we treat, treat each other. So uh, at, on the one hand, uh, it can be frivolous, it can be a good time, it could be just uh, bubble gum, you chew it and spit it out. On the other hand, it has nasty effects. And uh, while I was excited about an all-Asian cast Hollywood film, uh, I was like, well, okay, what's going to happen in terms of its effect on this audience, on this people, on society? Uh, and I have to say right offhand, I loved the film. It was great. It was cotton candy. I think a couple of weeks before I saw Mamma Mia, I kind of forced myself to enjoy myself in that film and I did finally you know I had to switch gears and say I really have to enjoy this summer you know I don't like the music but it's a lot of fun you know it's this great looking people and this great music not great music I don't like ABBA but this music and it's colorful uh, so with Crazy Rich Asians because of the information that I have in my head about representation and Asians on screen I I I I, I it was it was hard in the beginning to be in the theater, but it was a packed theater. It was I went to an academy screening, and it's, which is a little different from what you were describing with your audience, where people talk. Well, people academy screenings are usually are mostly members of the academy, and they take film very seriously. And when they watch a film, they're also thinking about the ballot that they fill out at the end of the year, because that's um, that's what we do. Uh, so it's a very serious audience, and, um, and there wasn't a lot of talking, but there was a lot of laughing, which was great. And a lot of that laughing came from me. Uh, <laughs> and uh-huh. I, just, I just really loved that I could enjoy this film uh, for what it was superficially. Okay. Uh, so the beautiful bodies, the beautiful clothes the scrumptious food and seeing some of my friends on screen, especially Lisa Liu, who plays the grandmother. Uh, she's in my documentary, Hollywood Chinese, and I've known her for decades. In fact, I lived in her house when I was a student at American Film Institute. So it was great to see her back on screen in a featured role, not just a walk-on. Oh, uh, wow. So, That's great. So it was very exciting. Uh, and the Q&A was great. Uh, because it is the Academy, the applause was good. Uh, it's interesting because the next day I went to an Academy screening of Black Klansmen, uh, in, and Spike Lee was, you know, was going to be at the Q&A as well as the cast. Same thing as with John Chu and his cast of, of Crazy Asian, uh, Rich Asians. And there was a difference in terms of the audience reaction. And, you know, I've, I've been to Academy Screens for 20 years now because I've been a member for 20 years. So you kind of gauge, at least for that audience, what is working or what isn't working or what is working uh, in the overwhelming sense uh, where a standing ovation, you can feel that that's coming or 
whether or maybe it's not coming. Uh, it's interesting the audience at the cabinet, which is very different from the multiplex. Yes. Uh, and uh, so I was. I had those two experiences back to back from one day to the other. Well, so that's great. I think we have to get to that, but um, because there is something about who, like. I mean, since this is all not just a film, but it's also a marketing campaign. Already this film has grossed over $45 million worldwide. So it's a marketing sensation. So there's a way where we need to think about both what the film is communicating, both internally, and then also uh, what the marketing is, and then what the buzz is and how it would be different for, like, Black Klansman, for example, than this film. But let's stay with this film first, and then we'll go and uh, kind of link it up since you were able to see them kind of both back-to-back like that. So you were really thrilled, and you laughed a lot during it. Uh, you know, I was thinking about the last film that had the full Asian cast that was uh, a, a Hollywood film was The Joy Luck Club, and that was a film that was about these older women and their daughters and the lies and the secrets and immigration and racism. And the nasty men. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Right. So, well, I have to say, in this film, Crazy Rich Asians, uh, there was a way where the men were more kind of eye candy. <laughs> oh, they were hot. Absolutely. Yes. Right. Mean, it was a know, switch. It wasn't, a, you know, whereas usually it's just the women who are playing a certain role. In this one, it was the reverse. So, uh, yeah, it was great to see that reversal where they're being ogled. Yes. Uh, they're, 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 they're being objectified. And it's about time they were objectified. <laughs> okay. I mean, in a good way. Uh-huh. And, but, you know, I think the time was ripe. Uh, as you recall, in 2016, uh, that year's Oscars broadcast, there were two jokes made at the expense of Asians, uh, having young kids come out as young Asian kids as accountants, and then having uh, Sasha Baron Cohen make a joke about Asian male genitals. And um, there was a big outcry. Uh, which started from the within the academy, what happened was uh, it was so insulting to us members, Asian members of the academy, that we got together and we wrote an internal letter as a group of Asian members of the academy, as a group criticizing the academy for uh, letting that happen and how tone deaf that was in this era of questioning diversity in the industry. Uh, and that blew up to be a kind of a media circus. It went viral. And that really kick-started the talk about diversity in Hollywood, specifically about Asians and Asian Americans. I mean, there, there's been a lot of talk about black and white, and diversity always seemed to be black and white, literally, in Hollywood. And, and, and all the other colors get thrown in somehow, sometimes. Uh, but... With that, um, the Oscar broadcast that had those bad jokes, uh, it really brought forth to how we really need to talk about this and include other colors than black and white in the, in the conversation about inclusion and diversity. And since then, uh, there's been so many examples of whitewashing Asian characters in major uh, films that uh, the time was ripe for crazy rich Asians to come around. 
and for uh, for the zeitgeist to really uh, support it. Uh, and I think that's a, a, a lot a part of it. I mean, yes, it's a romantic comedy, but it means so much more. It, it symbolizes a big step. Now, you know, I ho- I'm not sure how long we have, but we're mostly focusing on the positive aspects of the film. And... And, and and it's great to keep it positive because it it is a nice step. It is a major step, not just nice. It's a major step for representation of Asians on the on, on the Hollywood screen. But if you dig deeply, if if you want to dig deeply, and, and many academics and film theorists and and scholars will dig deeply into this film and what's been happening uh, around it, there are some questions about representation in terms of other Asian groups within that film. Right. Um, I, I just want to reintroduce you before we go farther forward. I'm speaking with Arthur Dong, who is a triple Sundance Award winning filmmaker. He was uh, Oscar nominated and he did the film Forbidden City USA and uh, he did a book, a Hollywood Chinese album, among other things. And we're talking about the film and the sensation Crazy Rich Asians. So we're here and definitely I want to have an understanding of representation because I think that's really what what we can learn from. So, what are the things that you specifically noticed in this film? Okay, first off, you know there is such a hunger from Asian Americans to see our stories on the Hollywood screen. Okay, and I, I really want to specify that we're talking about Hollywood major Hollywood productions. We're not talking about independent films, of which there have been many, many films made by independent Asian-American filmmakers about Asian-American characters or Asian characters with all Asian cast, okay? There's been many productions uh, that have been produced through the decades, but there aren't, they, they aren't major Hollywood productions, and they don't have the backing and the P&A budget that Crazy Rich Asians has. So, so we're talking about two different animals, uh, I think. Yes, we are. So with Crazy Rich Asians, because there is such hunger to see our stories on the big screen in a big, splashy way, that that that's the major point. And at that, and, and and Crazy Rich Asians and this blockbuster box office and critical success makes that point, and that's very important yes. because that means that uh, that. Studio heads and those who hold the power to greenlight a project can't say, well, we can't back an all-Asian story because it doesn't make money. Look at the last film. Uh, and um, so the, there's not that excuse anymore. Um, uh, but because we are so, because there are so few projects like about our stories on that big Hollywood screen that we put a burden on it too to represent all of us which is unfair to the filmmakers it's unfair to the writers it's unfair to the studio that we put all we tend to put all of our eggs into one basket and and one one production can't just can't do that and I want to acknowledge that yes but we do that and sometimes I think people from their own communities tend to be more self-critical than they would be of other communities at work. Uh, and, 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 but I think that's okay. You know, this is a democracy. Well, it's, 
yesterday was a democracy. I think today is still a democracy. And we all have our voices and we all can and voice our opinions. And that's good. Uh, so I think it's healthy to have those who find uh, some critique in this film to voice those critiques. And, and one of the things that I, that I noticed was that Okay, it is about, as you said, the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of the rich Asian, rich Chinese in mm-hmm. Singapore, which are about 75% of the population. The Chinese, I think, yeah, I can be corrected. I'm not an expert in Singapore demographics, but I think 75% of Singaporeans are Chinese or Chinese background. And the other 25% are other Asian groups. Uh, and in the film, what we see is a very distinct class difference. And... And I think it's correct for me to say that uh, of that 1% in Singapore are mostly Chinese. Mm-hmm. And we see that in the film, uh, where the main characters are all rich Chinese, and the servants are brown. Yes. And now, okay, uh, I, I'm trying to put it in context. If I were... If I were in Singapore, let's say, and I were watching this film, and I was of that 25% brown population, and this film was supposed to be a, a major milestone for Asian representation on the screen, and then if this film was about my city, Singapore, and I was brown, and all I saw up there on screen was me in, in the background being a servant, which is the same criticism we had about Hollywood films in the 30s and 40s, well, actually up to the 60s and even up to today, that uh, because America is uh, not homogeneous, we're of all colors, but in terms of people of color, people of color on the big Hollywood screen are usually relegated to the background atmosphere. That's been the practice until the past few decades. That's been changing. But up to, I would say, up to the 50s, that was pretty much it. You'd see once in a while some stars like Anime Wong or Susia Harukawa um, come up through, through the ranks and then they would have featured roles. Yes, that would happen once in a while. But by and large, that didn't happen. So if I were in Singapore and Brown, I was watching this film that's supposed to represent me, but all I saw myself do was be a servant, I'm not sure how I would feel about that. Because I'm not Singaporean, but I can put myself in the place of being an American, not having my seen, seen myself in major Hollywood productions, and, and, and instead seeing myself as a servant, or a laundryman, or a grocer, and that's it. It's the same, I think, equation, maybe. I haven't thought it through, but that's where some of my discomfort comes from. Um, I think, again, you know, we're putting so much into this one production and and I want to bring up that I feel that that's an unfair burden to the artists and the filmmakers. However, we are doing that and it is happening and that's just a natural course of how we, how we treat media, especially when we're hungry for our own stories. Right, uh, so then I have a question about that because it seems to me that what you're raising is that there is something about how class is presented where uh, in, in the audience, you know, I think it wouldn't be unusual for all of us to feel like this kind of at least 
temporary envy for having so much. But there's a way where that there, as a result of class being primary, that there are certain things that are being ignored. Like I noticed, for example, the servants or the people who were helping, they're not even actually speaking in the language or the way that they would necessarily speak in Singapore. So it felt like there was kind of a um, Hollywood covering over of many different aspects in that way. I don't know. Yes, and it is Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> See, that's the thing. It, it is Hollywood. And, and you bring up, and there are several dialects, non-Chinese, there are several languages, dialects, uh, 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 that 25%, uh, that has been homogenized and made invisible. It's the same way we as Asian Americans have been made invisible here in America. But this is an American production. And, but I want to go back to you bringing up class and and that's another issue hey part of the reason i i love watching this film and enjoyed it so much is because of the richness that was up there and when i say richness i i I mean wealth the money the parties you know the life that i don't have and i'm never sure if i would ever be in that surrounding and it was fun because it, it threw me in there and said oh this is this is cool this is fun but on the largest social context, again, I don't want to put the burden on the filmmakers or the production itself, but it accentuates and perpetuates the stereotypes of Asians, particularly Chinese, being rich and powerful in this nation, in, in America, and actually globally as well, where uh, uh, they're the model minority. They have the better jobs. They have the better education and the higher income. And... Whereas we know that's not true, but that's a stereotype that is perpetuated in this country and globally as well. So, does that does this film is that part of is this film part of that problem? I'm not sure, uh, but. I want to go back to saying I totally enjoyed all of those aspects of the Yes, right. So I want to ask something in terms of thinking about that. So that you did Forbidden City USA, both as a book and as a film. And there are certain kind of stereotypes that are perpetuated in the course of um, like the, the performance culture that took place in San Francisco, for example. So I'm wondering about the performance aspects in this film and which you would see as being caricatures or stereotypes and which you would see as individuals. And I want to add one aspect to that, which is Kevin Kwan, who wrote the book, left Singapore. He This is sort of his life story. He grew up in that upper class of upper class kind of way until he was 11. And then he moved to Texas, I believe, and and then lived a more middle class life. So this is also his kind of romanticized Hollywood uh, fantasy about this kind of world. So partly it's like this vision that he has transported into this very fairy tale like story. So I don't want to say, well, there can't be stereotypes in fairy tales because that's how fairy tales are. So I'm just wondering how they go together. And before you answer, I just want to say, uh, my name is Raina Cowan and this is Frame to Frame. We're speaking with Arthur Dong, who is a filmmaker based in Los Angeles and writer, uh, whose new book, A Hollywood Chinese Album, is in the works. And uh, he's joining us to talk about Crazy Rich Asians. So what do you think of my question? 
Well, it's a very complex question, and I'm almost uh, lost in it. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> there are so many aspects to your question. But I think stereotypes are a shortcut, and they work. And we're talking about a two-hour film. I think it's two hours and ten minutes. And filmmakers and writers, we always take shortcuts because it's expedient. Uh, and because it is a Hollywood film, and it is, as you mentioned, it's a Cinderella story in Asia uh, with an Asian-American protagonist. Uh, so, uh, and, you know, Kwan, who is, by the way, a distant cousin of Nancy Kwan, of Susie Wong fame, oh. uh, he, he left Singapore early uh, as a young teen, and... Um, so he's projecting his point of view, which I think a writer has uh, a right to do. Yes. It's a novel. It's not a nonfiction film. It's not a documentary. And, you know, I think because I'm a filmmaker, that's often, uh, and, and burdens are often thrust upon me as well in terms of what am I saying about the larger community when I'm producing these films I make. And I've always say, well, I, I, I'm not representing entire community i'm i'm representing one story in this community and but because of the lack of work uh that there is in the certain community uh the artist is always given this burden to represent everybody and, and the artist can't the, the creators can't do that it just you just can't so you try to do your best and you know and, and but it's not i don't think it's a bad thing to be critical and to dissect because that's what uh, that's what makes media uh, go forward. That's how it progresses to a more elevated state. But I do want to point out one stereotype, and I think it's a stereotype, but not so much. And and and, uh, but to put it in context, I just went to the National Queer Asian Pacific Islander Conference in San Francisco, where 700 queer activists and community organizers and just plain folks got together in San Francisco to really be together. And it was wonderful. And there were all sorts of Asian Pacific Islander queers. I mean, you know, from the super macho to the leather to transgendered to femmes to every, every shade of the rainbow. And it was beautiful. And going back to Crazy Rich Asians, the one gay character... Uh, Nick Santos, who plays the, I think, cousin, but he's a designer. Yes. Um, and, and he's portly, and he's a femme, and, and I was watching this character, and my knee-jerk reaction is, there it is perpetuating the, this stereotype now. But, I, but in context of the conference that I went to, I then immediately thought, well, why not? He is part of our community as well, the portly femme designer. I mean, Who's very friendly, very, very warm. Uh, and yes, uh, and very sharp. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and direct. But, you know, it's always the best friend. The gay character is always the best, sharp, best friend, you know, but flamboyant. And so I'm not sure the, the uh, sexual orientation of John Chu or Kevin Kwan, but... In this film, the one gay character is just one type. That's right. been, that's very common in, in many films. And I thought, well, why couldn't he be like the uh, Daniel Day Lewis character in the film that he just did about the designer? What was that film? Uh, it was 
threat, phantom thread. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't he be like Daniel Day Lewis in Phantom Thread? Why can't you have uh, play against opposites, play against type, and have someone like a character like Daniel Day Lewis be the design, the gay designer? You know, uh, it, this is all going through my head as, as I'm watching the film. But then I come back to, well, this. Why not have a film designer? That's okay. Right. You know, well, I, maybe he couldn't be the. <laughs> Maybe he couldn't be the Daniel Day-Lewis character because that character is so narcissistic and has to have everything his own way. And there's so many other characters in this Crazy Rich Asians who are like this. But um, unfortunately, we didn't even get to your uh, comment about how how this film compared to uh, Spike Lee's new film, which I'm really sorry about because we're really out of time and there's so many more questions. Uh, Maybe I'll just raise a couple of the questions. For example, we didn't talk about the characters like Rachel Chu's um, character or Aquafina or Michelle Yeoh and whether those are strong, independent women or whether there's something else. So many questions that we're not going to get to, but... Nonetheless, it's a really fun film, and some films are really great for watching on your home TV, and some films aren't. And this one, if you're going to go see it, I really recommend that you go to a theater and see it with a lot of people, because the humor and the style and the liveliness is great. Um, Arthur Dong, I want to thank you so much for joining us. He uh, He's written a book, Forbidden City uh, USA, as well as a film and his new book that he's working on, Hollywood Chinese album. It's been great having you here. I really appreciate you joining us to talk about this rich subject. It's my pleasure. Hope we do this again. Yes, let's do that. Raina Cowan here. I'll be back next month to talk more about film. Thank you so much for listening. Good afternoon. You're listening to 94.1 KPFA Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF Fresno, 97.5 K24 8 BR Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org, 4 p.m.